Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, October 15th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writers Huaytran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, let's get into it uh, and talk about what we've been d- doing over this past week. I'll get things started. Uh, last night, I went to Warner Brothers uh, Horror Made Here, a Festival of Frights, which is like probably the worst title for a ho- you know Halloween horror festival. It's it's like a mouthful, but uh, basically, what Warner Brothers is doing, they see the success of Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights and Not Scary Farm and all those events. And at, at the Warner Brothers Studio lot, they do these studio tours. So they're like, why not? Why don't we put on our own event here on the studio tour lot? So basically this year, I think they actually started it last year, but last year it just had like the It House. Um, this year they have a bunch of stuff. They have, um, well, first of all, uh, you this, this takes place on the Warner Brothers Studio lot. So uh, most of this takes place in this little town square area that has been seen in many movies um probably most prominently gilmore girls the tv series but uh, but it's been you know been around for 75 years been uh, seen in hundreds and hundreds of movies and hundreds of tv shows and uh they basically have transformed this town square into a festival a horror festival of sorts uh there's a bunch of mazes there's the it house on the one end of it there is a arkham asylum is in uh, is there? There's a conjuring house. Uh, there's a church where you can go see an exorcist screening, and uh, there's a tram tour out into the uh, Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, so I'll go briefly through all this. Uh, I'm gonna write an, a, a story for the site, which will probably go up till tomorrow, and you can read extensively about it. But um, it was fun. Uh, the Ed House has been done before. Ben, I think you covered it for the site last year, right? 
Yes, yeah, I, I made a video, and you can watch that uh, on Slash Films' YouTube channel if you want to. Yeah, I will link that in the show notes. Um, so I won't get into that. That was fun. Uh, they the, the the new thing that I think a lot of people are interested in is Arkham Asylum because this is the first time like be, you know the DC universe has kind of appeared in these kind of horror events, and basically it brings you into Arkham Asylum where the Joker has taken over and. Uh, you know, all the villains are on the loose and uh, you're basically going through the prison, uh, and encountering these people, people such as the Riddler, Harley Quinn, um, Poison Ivy, Penguin. Uh, if you're a DC fan, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, I would say more on the light side of, in terms of scares. Uh, so I think they probably know that some kids are probably going to go to this. Um, but we, we did it twice, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And they rotate out the villains uh, throughout the night. So if you if you, if you go to this event, uh, maybe try it at the beginning of your trip and the end of your trip, and you might get uh, some different experiences like we did. Um, the Peter, contra- I saw a, I saw a picture on your Instagram of this, but uh, can you tell? Does it does the Arkham Asylum section of this look like any particular version that we've seen before? Is it more designed to look like the version? from the movies or a video game or is it its own thing or what i have not played the uh what is that video game series the um uh arkham knight arkham city arkham yeah yeah <laughs> one, one of those one. things i think it's based on that it's more of a comic book e kind of style it's not it's definitely not nolan or even Zack snyder um but it, it, it's cool it, it is really cool and you do kind of uh get to go up up close to these uh iconic uh batman villains and it, it, it's a lot of fun um i got sprayed by poison ivy and uh it, they do some creative stuff with it but uh i do want to talk about the other things the conjuring universe is basically you go into the house uh of the famous uh paranormal investigators what are their names the uh warrens the warrens yes and basically you're given a tour of this house while things are going wrong and it, it, this one's actually kind of interesting because it's it, instead of a normal uh maze where you're walking through on your own accord this is you're being taken room by room by a an actor and it's kind of like you watch as scenes play out in front of you um and it, it's a lot of fun and there was actually some some of the uh, one of the best scares i've ever seen at any of these haunted houses uh, happens at the end of this maze i thought was really fantastic uh th- they're doing some interesting new things with this event like since it's a, a new kind of uh you know haunted maze event uh in the the center of this town is a church and they decided to make use of this church by showing the Exorcist Forbidden Screening. And what this basically is, is like a, you know, 10 minute version of the Exorcist. It's like a highlight reel of the Exorcist. But they're screening it in this church. And there's even like, you know, someone from the church like warning, like we shouldn't be screening this before the screening. And as the screening happens, it's kind of like this 4D experience while, you know, the doors burst open at a moment like you know during the movie and like things happen and scare actors come out and it's kind of um you know when i was a kid i i uh went and saw it's tough to be a bug uh i'm not sure if any of you have experienced that at disney parks it's terrifying like you know traumatizing it's it's like the worst thing in those parks yeah and I, i i've always been like it would be great to have a horror movie version of this like based on a horror property and this is basically that it's not as good as that obviously but uh it is it's it's kind of a fun idea um 
the probably the best thing that I experienced was this thing called uh, Nightmare on Camp Crystal Lake. So they you board uh, you know tram tour vehicles and they take you to this section of the Warner Brothers backlot, which is used as a uh, kind of forest. Uh, it's used uh, you know as a lake. Uh, in many you know TV shows and movies, and um, I think most recently on Pretty Little Liars, um, but basically they drop you off there and you you walk through the trails as you experience like uh, moments. As you know, I think when you first start walking, there is a cabin, and all of a sudden a a uh, camper, a female camper, runs out. She's bleeding and she's screaming and she's like, "Run, run as fast as you can!" and out behind her comes uh jason so you're like on this like kind of story through camp crystal lake as it, it turns out it's not just jason but it's also freddie is also on the loose and uh it, it, it is cooler than most of the other haunted houses i've experienced because you're not in these like closed settings you're actually like experiencing things on this big epic uh, not epic, but like a grand scale of like, you know, this outdoor location. It feels like you're in a camp lake place. You end up going through these like, uh, I guess, camp cabins and stuff like that. And uh, it, it's, I think going to this event, uh, going to this is worth going to this event alone. There there are a bunch of, um, I don't think this event is as scary as Halloween Horror Nights or Not Scary Farm. I think a lot of people might find it a little disappointing, but I, I think this is the beginning of uh, something cool and something great. Uh, there's also a lot of cool photo ops here. This is something that I don't think the other haunted uh, events uh, really do. Like uh, there was um, Pennywise, was seen like in the sewers like so you could take a photo in front of the sewer and there's also a uh, georgie with his uh raincoat and balloon uh in front of the, the sewer uh, and you could take a photo with them and so there's a bunch of stuff like that like I, I i really think that's a opportunity missed by a lot of like you know universal events like you know you you, you go to these parks and you get to take pictures with the characters and uh here you actually got to take pictures with like pennywise and stuff like that uh which i know in this you know Instagram selfie culture is is something I think that uh, these other, you know, Universal is missing out on. Um, But, okay, so what else have I been up to? Um, Over this weekend, L.A. experienced a huge rainstorm, which is unusual. We haven't gotten – we don't get rain that often. Um, My – I woke up on Saturday morning and uh, stepped out of bed into a puddle of water. I live in a, 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 you know, relatively new – built building in the last 10 years and it turns out that uh my roof has sprung a leak and uh i've been dealing with that all weekend it's uh, been a bunch of nonsense and uh still haven't gotten to the bottom of it and it it sucks um yeah but that uh, so i've been dealing with that and the other the third thing i wanted to talk about um and i know i'm going long here but uh i uh I've been trying to get more serious about my health. Uh, as you know, I've been on a diet recently. And um, <clears throat> and uh, so I, I booked the doctor's appointment because I haven't really – you know, anytime I've gone to the doctor's, I think this is probably – I think a lot of people listening to this can probably relate. Anytime I go to the doctor's is when something's wrong. I don't really take advantage of the general practice visits and stuff like that. I feel like that's, you know, where you actually prevent things from happening. Uh, So I found out about this new thing called Forward. Have any of you guys heard about Forward? No, No, not at all. 
Um, so basically, Ford, uh, it was started by uh, someone that used to be like a high up guy in Google. And basically, he saw that doctor's offices are, you know, a horrible, flawed uh, just system. So he wanted to fix that system. He created this company called Forward. And basically what they do is they're a subscription service where you become a member and you can go there. You have unlimited visits to that doctor doctor's office. Uh, you, um, It's basically like the doctor's office of the future. It, it looks more like an Apple store than it does a doctor's office. So I went there for my uh, what they call baseline visit. And uh, I think many of you, like, you know, when you go to the doctors, usually, you know, you have the doctor's assistant does like all the stuff. And then a doctor comes in with a uh, clipboard and they ask you a few questions or like, you know, writing things down. It's not even paying attention to you. And, you know, they're out of there within like five, ten minutes. Right. And um, th- this doctor's office is basically trying to. Uh, change that. Uh, my baseline visit uh, was like an hour and a half long, and I think I spent 75 minutes with the doctor himself going over, uh, like they put me through like this huge uh, body scan and they went through my results. They took my blood, which by the way, they use this like, all the stuff in this place is like future tech. They use this infrared thing that looked like something out of Star Trek to point at my arm that you could see uh, my uh, blood vessels in real time, the blood pumping on my skin so that they could pick, you know, what ner- nerve to tap into or what uh, vein to tap into. Uh, d- d- just like real, uh, like futuristic stuff like that. Uh, they have like one whole, um, one whole wall of this place is a screen. And while the doctor's like doing his stuff uh, and he's, uh, you know, asking you questions like he's asking me you know what's my my health my family history with my health with their health and stuff like that and as i'm answering the questions it's literally like transcribing it on the wall and uh you know he doesn't have to write anything down his focus is completely on the patients um but uh it it was really cool he uh we went through and like oh and they, they draw blood and within 10 minutes the the test results are on the wall so he goes through your entire blood test. No need to come back for a follow-up visit. Send the blood to a lab. Um, I got a flu shot. I don't know. It, it was just a, an amazing experience. It's a, you know it's not cheap. Uh, you, you you pay for it every month. Uh, but um, in one of the other cool things, you walk out of this visit and you have all the test results on your iPhone through an app um you you can you know every time you go they do the new new results and it will track it over time um they uh uh they gave me a dna test i don't know it's just very futuristic very cool uh it gets me excited about going to the doctor and also like one of the other cool things about this because you are a member and because they're not like a normal doctor's office who, you know, gets paid by the insurance company every time you visit, uh, what they do is in their app, they have a, you have a text message kind of chat set up between you and the doctor. It's not set up between you and like an outsourced company. It's like you going directly to the doctor. So if I ever have a problem, like I had a, you know, question over the weekend, I just, you know, message them in the app and within an hour I got a response, um, which is just, 
kind of amazing. Anyway, so I, I highly recommend you check this out. I, I know it's only in a few locations in like California. I think it's in Glendale, the OC, Century City, and uh, it's in, you know started in San Francisco because of of course Silicon Valley. Um, but uh, you can check out more information at goforward.com. This is not an ad, by the way. I, I just like to point out that this sounds like the beginning of a sci-fi movie where all of a sudden you stumble upon a clone of yourself somewhere in Los Angeles because <laughs> this plate is harvesting your bodily fluids and DNA and everything. That would be scary. Um, no, but the, <laughs> I, I don't know. I want Everybody out there should just look this up just to see what it looks like because it's literally like... Oh, and the other cool thing was I showed up to my appointment like a half an hour early thinking I was, you know, get there early and uh, I'd probably be waiting in a waiting room within a minute of getting there. They had me in a scanner, had me. Oh, no, it's just so refreshing compared to normal doctor visits. Um, I, I, I hate to be, you know, geeking out about a general practice doctor's office, but I guess that's the world we live in today. Um, As someone who was in the hospital all last week with uh, with a pretty nasty infection, and I encountered doctors who were great and doctors who were miserable and had lots of wait times, this sounds really cool. Um, I just, pardon me, yeah, I think Brad sums it up. It sounds like a weird dystopian future thing, <laughs> but at the same time, I was. Uh, as someone who who had a pretty miserable week last week, this sounds pretty cool. It's total Black Mirror stuff. Like, it, it, like literally, you could film a, an episode of Black Mirror in this doctor's office, and it would be believable that like Hollywood, you know, just created this for the show. But um, yes, Chris, what have you been up to? Uh, boy, that's a hard act to follow because I did not get blood taken out of my body, and I did not go to a studio, but I went to a thing called the glow in Philadelphia, which is this, uh, it's this, this little walk area where there's, uh, 5,000 jack-o'-lanterns just, you know, carved into various things. And it, it was very cool. I mean, it, it's sort of geared towards, I guess, families, which, you know, I'm not a big fan of families <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> What, what, what you're saying, Chris, is you're not a fan of kids. Yeah, I'm not a. There are there are a lot of kids there, and you know, I, 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 I it was me and my wife, and I kept being like, "Ugh, let's get around these goddamn kids," you know, like, just get out of the way. But when I, you know, when I, we weren't trying to push past children, it was it was very cool. It was you know, it, it um. They have stuff in all sorts of shapes. They had like dinosaurs. It was very neat. It must have taken like a lot of work to put this together. I don't even know how they did it. And it was also, it was also very Philly centric. So there were a lot of Philly things. Like they had, you know, the Philly fanatic pumpkin and they had like a Bradley Cooper pumpkin because he's from Philadelphia. So it was very strange. It was, it was enjoyable. And, uh, you know, like most things in life, it costs way too much. But it was, it was, um, you know, if you're looking for a, a laid back sort of thing, uh, so so here's the thing: I love Halloween. Halloween is my favorite holiday. I love everything having to do with it. My wife, uh, while she likes Halloween, she does not like being scared. So, you know, when we first started dating, I, I tried to take her to, um, you know, like haunted hayrides and haunted attractions. And she would get terrified. And one year, the last year we did it, we went to this thing called, um, it was called like the Fright Factory. And it was literally a factory and you're walking through and people jump out at you. And at one point, this guy jumped out 
And my wife screamed so loud and for so long, they literally stopped the ride and everyone broke character. And they were like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, like they were pulling off their rubber ghoul masks and being like, oh my God, is this woman okay? They thought she was having like a mental breakdown. She was that scared of this stuff. So ever since then, when Halloween rolls around, I try to find very casual fun things my wife and I do because I don't want her to have a heart attack. So if you're looking for something fun and laid back and people don't jump out at you and you're in the Philadelphia region, I think they have these in other states too. Um, it, it's cool. It's called The Glow. Very does cool. she like horror movies? She does like horror movies. She can put up with them, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's because it's different because it's a screen thing, but if it's like people, you know, like in real life, even though, you know, even though they're obviously not really monsters she just she can't handle it so we, we we avoid that sort of thing but what if they are real monsters they ask the real fear here chris well <laughs> i think she'd be okay with that it's the fake monsters that bother her no, I, I, <laughs> the whole time i was at the warner brothers event i was thinking like chris would love this like the whole thing like was just totally up your alley yeah it sounds very cool unfortunately i live in um in the dead zone. I don't, I don't have cool things like that near me. Oh, I forgot to mention this. One of the cool things was they had like these Easter eggs, like just randomly every hour, like Carrie, you know, drenched in blood would just run through the town square or like on uh, the second floor of one of the uh, shops, there was Audrey from little house of horrors. Like there was like, I don't know that kind of stuff all over the place, which was just a lot of fun. Anyways, um, Ben, you last week you talked about half of your trip. Now this week you're going to talk about uh, Ireland. Yes, yeah. So last week I talked about uh, going to Iceland, and this week I figured, yeah, I'd round it out and uh, and finish up the the recap of my amazing vacation, uh, where my wife and I uh, we went to Ireland and Northern Ireland as well. So um, we stayed in Dublin briefly, and I got to visit some of the locations from Sing Street, the 2016 uh, movie that is set there. I love that film, so it was really cool to actually see like the school where they filmed that, the like the exteriors and uh, the house where Rafina, the the female lead lives um so that was... is there any like memorabilia or like a sign no, none. no, no. <laughs> nothing at all yeah um there's there's actually like just a sign on the school that was there um and it's actually on a street called sing street so i mean you can see sort of that stuff but there's no like uh um, plaques or you know any any official uh, signs that anything happened. It's just sort of like in this smaller section of, of like sort of a quiet section of Dublin. So um, yeah, that was kind of cool. I, I, we tried to visit as many um, movie related uh, and TV related places as we could. So that was one of the the ones that we tracked down in Dublin. Um, moving along, we we rented a car and basically drove around the entire country. So we went to Blarney Castle, which I'm sure all of you have heard of, you know, kissing the Blarney Stone. It's sort of a, a classic touristy kind of thing to do. And I did that actually on my birthday. Um, and I, I both of us went into that sort of expecting it to be kind of lame as just like a, a typical touristy kind of thing. And there were a bunch of tourists there. But I have to say, Blarney Castle is like way cooler than uh, people are giving it credit for because it's not just you know, you climb the steps of this old castle and kiss this this uh, arch stone or whatever it is. There's like the grounds are super expansive. There is a a poison garden there that you can walk around in. It has signs everywhere that that are like um, 
don't breathe in the flowers here. You know, don't touch anything. Don't eat anything. If you have children, keep them away from this area because everything in here is poison. Uh, there is there are caves that are like just off on off to the side underneath the main castle and there are like secret passages and stuff that go back and forth between the castle and the caves i think most of those have been blocked up like you can't actually right now as far as i know walk through the caves and enter up into the castle but you definitely could when the castle was fully functioning back in its heyday um so you get to walk around in the caves a little bit there is a um a really cool circular tower that you can walk up inside and it looks like the pit that Batman has to climb in the dark Knight rises where, you know, you're down there looking straight up at this circular hole in the ground. You're like in a circular hole in the ground basically. Um, and it's all made of old ancient rock. And that was pretty cool. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to hit the highlights here. So forgive me if I go long. Uh, I got to, a chance to go to Skellig Michael, which is the, um, the Irish Island where they filmed, uh, the Star Wars movies, the most recent two, uh, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And my wife and I, uh, Amy, we were we did a bunch of research into this beforehand. And we bought tickets online, like we reserved. You have to take a boat from this really small Irish town called Port McGee. It's like a 45-minute boat ride from there out to Skellig Michael. It's obviously, it's very isolated. It's out in the middle of nowhere in this, uh, off the Irish coast. And uh, basically, we reserved a ticket for an experience where you take the boat out there and you you can actually land on the island and like walk around and go up the steps that Ray goes up and and actually check out like the um the monasteries and stuff that are real that are up there and we were so excited to be able to do this and <clears throat> we didn't hear anything until the the morning that we got there they were like oh if if the weather is bad or something we might not be able to take you guys out there, but we'll send you an email ahead of time and let you know. So we were sort of under the impression that like, oh, maybe we'll be able to make it out there if the weather's good enough. And we were checking the weather constantly in the days leading up to this and everything looked fine. It wasn't going to rain or anything. And we'd never got an email from anybody. So the next, uh, you know, the morning of the event, we got up and we stayed about an hour and away in an Airbnb and we drove out there and like went to go pay for our tickets basically and met the the boat captain and he was like oh yeah sorry we can't take you guys out there today because the water was too choppy i guess um so that was sort of a heartbreaking moment but they were still offering boat tours where you basically just sail out there and sort of like stop the boat in the water and you get to take pictures and they sort of tell you a little bit of the history of the place and stuff like that so we're like i, I guess we're, we're already here we might as well do this um the only problem guys is that i threw up three times on this boat tour because the water was so choppy uh i, I realized very quickly this is why they couldn't let us land there because the water was so intense and like just I mean nauseating to a ridiculous degree so uh, you know that's something that you're not going to see on my Instagram feed you'll see a picture of Skellig Michael which looked really cool because we were only like oh whatever a couple hundred feet away from it but the part you're not going to see is how sick I got on the, on the way out <laughs> there um yeah, it is. So for anybody who's considering going to this, just know that it's completely dependent on the weather and uh, it can get very intense. I was the third person on our boat of probably 10 or 12 people to throw up on the, on the boat. One guy just like sat in his seat on the back of the boat and threw up 
on the the deck of the boat like he couldn't even make it over the edge of the boat it was disgusting but uh and then this other woman was throwing up over the edge i of course as like you know like a gentleman made it over the edge of the boat when i was hurling over the place but yeah it was uh it was very intense and um there are there are islands out there that are not skellig michael there's like one called little skellig that has this huge population of birds that are out there and it was it's like the entire rock was was moving it was white and it was because there were thousands and thousands of birds out there on it flying around it it was uh sort of a weird magical experience to be having while i was feeling so sick so it was <laughs> it was sort it, of like a, geographically a highlight but like in terms of my actual enjoyment of the thing at the time it was definitely a low light of the trip and, and those birds that are in endangered species like or what the porgs are based off right right like they um had the cg so, or you think yeah, these other birds yeah it's slightly different birds the the uh, i'm trying to remember the oh, puffins i think are the ones puffins, that are yeah. actually yeah they're native to skellig michael the the big island they actually use for filming and the the other island is called little skellig and it's just really like right next to it and a whole different species of bird just hangs out there for some reason so uh and then i'll, I'll blast through a couple other uh, spots really quickly uh last week i talked about reading the princess bride and uh, in another spot of ireland uh, there's a place called the cliffs of Moore, and that's actually where they filmed the cliffs of insanity scenes in oh. the princess bride the movie um and that was really cool to to go there especially like while i was reading the book basically um and it is incredible i mean it's just sheer cliff faces and you know it's just plunging down and down into to the water and it's gorgeous and and um, really uh, an impressive sight to see. And then my wife Amy does these really incredibly detailed uh, research dives into trips like these where she makes itineraries to sort of maximize the amount of awesome things that we can see and do while we're on a trip. And she found out that we could stay in a castle and we're like, yeah, we, we pretty much have to do that. So we stayed in this place called Ashford Castle and uh, it was incredible. It's like super um, it's the nicest place that we will ever stay in our lives. And I mean, it, it was just incredible. You should look at some pictures of this place. Uh, we got to do this thing called a hawk walk where you walk through uh, across these expansive grounds of this castle and you're wearing a glove. And there's a person out there who is like a guide and it, it was like a private tour that we took and they put a uh, I think it's called a Harris Hawk is the name of the species on your glove and this thing just like flies away and then you raise your arm and it comes flying back to you and it, it eats little pieces of food out of your hand and we just like walked around the grounds for an hour with these amazing hawks just flying you know off and on it was uh, a, a tremendous experience i can't really put it into words that was one of the the coolest things i've ever done i think is just have these these glorious creatures just um it, we were walking around in open space and then at a certain point they took us into the woods and the just to watch these hawks like dip and dive and and dodge through all of the tree branches and stuff and still come to rest on your outstretched arm is uh is pretty transformative of an experience um i went we also went to uh, belfast which was in northern ireland we got to go to the titanic museums i'm going to put together a, a full video for slash film about that so you can read and watch that uh in the, in the days and weeks to come we also went to several game of thrones locations on the trip and the wait, one wait, that... i do have a question about the castle Yes. So you said that was a cool place to stay. Like, is the interior updated in any way? Like, is it or are you like 
What are the bathrooms like? <laughs> staying it's castle? so nice. It's like a five star hotel kind of thing, but inside the inside the exterior of a castle, and you know they have like an, a whole wing that's devoted to afternoon tea and like all of this. You know, there's massive fireplaces everywhere, and the uh, the decor inside is just it's like opulence of the highest order. It's, it's so um, it's really ridiculous. Like we, we felt wildly uncomfortable being in there when we first walked in because we're like, we are not, you know, super fancy people (laughs) who stay in places like this. This is a, a, a totally, you know, foreign experience for us, but it's a, it's a testament to how amazing everything is there and the way that the staff treats everybody and stuff that you start to feel comfortable very, very quickly. So, uh, it was hard to leave. We stayed there for a couple nights and it was just, um, yeah, it, it was pretty amazing to be able to stay there. Uh, the, we, we saw a bunch of game of Thrones locations on the trip and I'm going to make another video about uh, a couple of those, but one in particular was we got to go to the the castle that served as the setting for Winterfell in season one. And we got to do archery there and sit on their replica of the Iron Throne. And um, my wife got to wear like a vest that Bran Stark wore in the show. They they like give you cloaks and fake swords and stuff to walk around like you're a person of the Night's Watch and all this stuff. I mean, it was it was pretty awesome. So I have a ton of uh, video footage from that. So I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Maybe I'll talk about it on a, when I finally get together and, and you know, get the, the footage together and edit it together into a, a video and finalize that. And maybe I'll um, I'll talk about that uh, in in detail because there's a lot to talk about. There's a ton of Game of Thrones locations right around that that specific castle. Um, so yeah, it was. So, uh, so it's it kind of like how people go to New Zealand for like the Hobbiton stuff. Like there's a lot of like Game of Thrones tourist locations you can yes. get up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, I'll I'll probably talk a little bit more about some of those um, in that when it comes around to that. But I'll I'll cede my time to the gentleman from Indiana at this point. <laughs> Brad, what's going on? I hear you're moving. Well, yeah, it's definitely nothing anywhere near as exciting as everyone else is doing. I'm just taking all my shit and moving it to another place. <laughs> it's it's really not that exciting. And um, from what we know, you have lots of Blu-rays. Lots of Blu-rays, probably way too many action figures. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just so tedious, and I I hate moving every single time I do it. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's not fun at all. I'm, I'm in the midst of packing my stuff and it's happening throughout the week. And then I'll deal with the furniture after that. Like the only thing that I like, I like about it is look, I look forward to like, um, the purge. Yes. I look forward to the purge. (laughs) Um, no, I look forward to like getting my stuff arranged. It's, um, after it's all, I get out to the new place. Like I just, it's kind of therapeutic. I just like, arranging it in a new cool way and just getting everything situated so um, i'm excited to to get that finished and taken care of um so hopefully by this time next week i'll be all finished with that and, and i wasn't joking the only thing i like about moving is like every time i move i usually end up throwing out half of my shit oh i get like, what you're saying that's what i meant like i didn't mean the, the movie the purge but like the actual like I thought you were talking about, like, an actual purge. Like, I'm looking forward to the time when we all are able to just murder each other on a night, one night. Okay. H.C., what have you been up to? <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to that day, so. <laughs> oh, no. I um I went to the Maryland Renaissance Festival this weekend for my friend's birthday. And it was my first Ren Fair experience, which was really cool. So um, if you're not familiar, familiar with Renaissance Festivals, they're, like, annual uh, festivals in which people – 
dress up as in medieval clothing and there's events and jousts and food and drink and all in the the spirit of celebrating this whimsical era that isn't really historically defined just people kind of vaguely dress like things that look vaguely medieval but it was a lot of fun I, I love so, when, um, like, people are cosplaying as, like, Doctor Who and... Yeah. And, yeah. I was actually thinking, like, when I was there, I was like, I could have worn my Doctor Who outfit here because I once dressed up as the 11th Doctor, of course, for Halloween a few years ago. I was like, I totally could have worn it here and been, like, right at home because there are people <laughs> who are dressed up as, like, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, a few anime cosplayers, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> and uh, one Jon Snow from, from Game of Thrones. So I was like, okay, yeah, you could just totally do like, I think the, some people who are just like goth just came as they were. <laughs> it's definitely a, a safe space for everyone, which was really cool. What, what's the coolest thing you saw well. or do, did there? Uh, we went to a joust, which was really exciting. They had like um, little games where they threw little little hoops up and the um the knights had to ride on their horses and catch them and eventually at the end they did a real joust in which they came at each other and did bodily harm but no bodily harm was actually truly done but it was a lot of fun because they have like a storyline going on um this festival in particular is supposed to take place in a fictional 16th century english village named the revel grove and in this um joust it's four knights who are battling for the their place like on the king's like royal guard and it's narrated by this princess and it's it's really cool and we had um you you sit in the corner and you're kind of allocated one of the knights to cheer for and uh we were in the corner of this like german German knight who was like a drunkard and kept like losing, which I'm pretty sure was like part of his character. But that was very frustrating. I'm just like, like stop drinking, dude. But um, it was a lot of fun. It was um, it was really cool. We had there's a lot of alcohol, uh, which I'm pretty sure is like the majority of people's reasons to to go there. And uh, I had a meat pie, I think. It was just basically just a calzone. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of fun. I bought myself a flower crown and realized I could use it in a potential uh, Halloween costume for sharp objects, which made me very excited. So that, that was really cool. And I, I, oh, I also posed in a picture that I put this on Instagram of me in one of the stocks, which is something I get really excited for for some reason. I don't know why. Like I, whenever I see a stock, I'm like, I have to pose with it <laughs> and i have one like for me like in williamsburg virginia in like that same kind of stock thing so it was a lot of fun we should link that in the show notes um jacob what have you been reading this week well i spent the entire weekend at home doing nothing unlike you fine people so i get the chance to catch up on a lot of reading and watching and i read in about two sittings josh mallerman's bird box uh it was recommended to me when I went on Twitter and asked for for frightening books, good horror books to read this month. And this one comic out is also being made into a movie coming to Netflix later this year. And the premise is really frightening. And that is something, uh, an unexplained something is happening on the planet where if you see it and no one knows what it is, you immediately go insane and cause harm to yourself and others. So the entire book is this post-apocalyptic story that flashes back between years after the event and time during the early days of the event and whenever people go outside they have to, they have to be blindfolded and the basic structure of the book is the main character 
is trying to row a boat with her two four-year-old children downriver blindfolded because if she opens her eyes and, she, and sees whatever it is, uh, she will go insane and kill her children or herself. And it flashes back between this river journey and her time in a house full of other survivors where the windows are boarded up and covered and things go very wrong for everybody. And it's uh, 250 pages long. It's a fast read. It is terrifying. It is generally unsettling. It maybe ends a little weak. It never really finds a way to end in a satisfying way. But the journey to get there is so moody and frightening and claustrophobic because the entire thing is written um, from the point of view of characters who do not know what they're facing and can't even see most of the time. So reading it is just claustrophobic. Like you feel like you're trapped the entire time. And Malum's prose, which is very simple and straightforward, really sells the idea of not knowing where you're going or how to get there, where a blindfolded journey to the house next door, look for supplies is a, is a day long effort because you know, you could take your blindfold off and see nothing and be fine. Or you could take it off and see whatever it is and, and things go wrong. And if this sounds a bit like The Happening uh, meets A Quiet Place, that's kind of what it is. Uh, but it really is very good and very scary. And the film version, which is uh, what was shot this year, uh, being directed by Suzanne Beer, uh, written by Eric Hessier, who wrote Arrival. It stars Sandra Bullock, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Paulson, John Malkovich, Trevante Rhodes, Jackie Weaver. It's hitting Netflix on December 21st and premieres next month. Uh, so I really hope it's as good and as scary as the book is. Suzanne Beer isn't really known for horror. I know Andy Muschietti was going to direct this before she was. And I can't help but wonder if he was a better choice for it. Uh, but we'll see. I'm really excited to see what they do with this. When does that movie come out? Uh, December 21st on Netflix. Cool. Um, okay, let's talk about what we've been watching. Uh, I watched the season finale of Better Call Saul. I've, I've already said I love this show and I love this season finale so much. I, I can't wait for more. I kind of hate that these seasons are so short uh but maybe that's why they're so good i also uh i watched the the, the season premiere of shark tank it's like uh their 10 year anniversary i think um i'm a huge fan of the show and uh you know I, it, it's a reality series where people come on and basically try to you know pitch the investors in their products and businesses and it includes a whole you know cast of cool investors like mark cuban um i uh i don't know the, the show has become a little less interesting in recent years i think i think it's becoming a little bit more reality tv in that they're picking more people with a interesting or sob story rather than interesting products and businesses um you know it's you know some 12 year old girl who created a cookie business and the cookies aren't anything you know that uh you know anything different versus like I, I feel like back in the day they used to have like some very interesting products that like seem to solve uh problems that uh are interesting and you know seeing that kind of thing uh or it could just be that like we've run through you know the great inventions that are gonna you know apply to like a show like this but uh i don't know I, i'm still watching it i still like it but uh i'm finding it yeah little I, less... I, I i agree with you peter because in this episode they had the, the guest star was the guy who pitched ring the uh security system doorbell company to them like five years ago and like watching the guy who made Ring, this now massive company, sit there and be judged, judge all these entrepreneurs whose stuff wasn't even maybe ten percent as impressive. It was, I, I agree, it's a little sad <laughs> to see like maybe 
the bigger companies or bigger ideas aren't going to be on the show anymore. It has me worried too. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about is, uh, I think a few months back, I, I told you about this YouTuber named Simon Wilson. This is the guy that was, uh, he, his YouTube channel kind of, uh, got a lot of viral attention because he would, uh, sneak into places that he was not allowed, like Disneyland or into like a big Vegas fight. He snuck his way up to like floor seats in like one of the biggest Vegas, uh, boxing fights. Um, and uh jacob i think you even watched some of his stuff uh he he's from europe uh recently he did this challenge with a bunch of other uh youtubers from london where he each of them started out with one pound and over the course of a week they 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 each documented it over the course of the week they had to try to turn that one pound into the most amount of money they could possibly turn it into by the end of the week so you could watch just, you know, Simon's story and every morning they would meet in the, like a park in London and kind of give each other an update of how, how they were doing. And it's uh, it's interesting because Simon, you know, I don't want to spoil this for any anybody who wants to watch this. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But, like, you know, he, he goes to the casino and he uh, bets his money and he, he grows it. And he comes up with these schemes of, like, you know, buying postcards from a touristy shop for, like, you know uh, – 20 for a pound and then trying to go on the the streets and seeing if he could sell each postcard for a pound each you know stuff like that like so it, it throughout the week you're seeing how much these people can actually grow their money from one pound to who knows hundreds if not thousands of pounds um but uh it, it was fun to watch and i would highly recommend uh checking that out simon wilson's youtube page i'll link it in the show notes jacob what have you been watching well, as I spent my weekend doing nothing, I watched a lot of movies, so I'll try to run through them a little quickly. I saw First Man in Theaters, uh, Damien Chazelle's uh, new Neil Armstrong biopic, even though I don't think that's a quite accurate depiction or description of what the movie is. It uses Neil Armstrong as an avatar for why people would go to the moon, or more, partic- or more specifically, why people want to discover and voyage and find new places. And I thought the movie harrowing. I found it so exciting and so moving. And I've always been a sucker for good space travel stories. And First Man does two things uh, that I found unique and special. First, it shoots all of the uh, space scenes as if it was a horror story. The, the, the camera is so close and confined in these scenes where you really understand that these are people inside a tin can <laughs> being rocketed through space and they have no reason to survive. And the Those moment, are my favorite scenes of that movie. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. And my favorite beat in the movie, this comes relatively early, is during the Gemini 8 mission, uh, Neil Armstrong and his pilot launch into orbit, discover immediately they're off course. And the first thing they do is pull up paper and start doing math. And it's like, it boils down to the idea that space program, at the end of the day, is a bunch of people in tin cans doing math and trying not to die. And that is so exciting. Uh, it also movies really moving. I think Ryan Gosling's performance here is wonderful. It's, Internalized, it's not showy, and the way Neil Armstrong deals with grief, and the way the moon uh, landing, the moon mission becomes a um, metaphor for him uh, trying to overcome past tragedy, is something I found incredibly moving. Uh, and I don't want to say more about the end of the movie, but I found the final scenes on the moon to be overwhelming in how they made me feel. Uh, but we'll talk more about First May, I think, Wait, in months ahead because what, it's going to be a big Oscar movie. I was going to say, uh, Ben and Brad have also seen this movie. So uh, let's hear what you guys thought about this. Uh, let's start with Ben. 
I wanted to love this movie and I I did not get, I mean I I definitely came away from it with the same appreciation that you did Jacob in terms of like um the in terms of it making you sort of take a step back and look at how sort of wild and crazy just the idea of a space program is in general but in terms of like the emotional impact I I didn't feel it in this movie I think a lot of it had to do with the way that uh, Damien Giselle chose to frame the action, everything in this film is so up close that I just found myself um, like desperately, uh, it felt claustrophobic in a way that I don't think necessarily worked for this story. It sounds weird because it's a movie about a guy going to space and that kind of is claustrophobic, but I, I can't, I guess in an emotional capacity, it's it's hard for me to to verbalize why it, it didn't work for me th- that well. And I think Gosling's performance was like a little bit too blank for my taste. And he's a guy who can play blank with the best yeah. of him. And I, I just wish I had a little bit more from him. Uh, in yeah, you this. like don't feel like anything's going on internally. Like I don't feel like he's struggling to hold things in. Oh, I disagree yeah, I, so yeah, much. I, I totally disagree with that too. Um, I, I disagree with both things Ben said actually. I I feel like the way Giselle shoots this movie is like is it, he shoots it exactly how he wants to present this story. Is it's not so much about the moon landing, the bigger picture thing. It's about Neil, and it's it's intimately shot and it's close up and it's claustrophobic because like they, he wants you to feel like that experience as best you can in a movie theater, you know, by having that point of view and feeling how loud and unstable space travel feels and how scary it all is. And then on top of that, the emotional side, I feel like it's. Ryan Gosling's performance is so sheltered and it's it's because it's a man who has cut himself off emotionally and isn't showing any of these feelings or anything he has because he's still traumatized by the death of his daughter. And in this sense, I think Ryan Gosling playing blank is totally intentional. And I think it makes the story that much more uh, personal and emotional because you you don't see his pain being expressed in an obvious manner, you, but he, you can see that he's hiding it. And I think that makes it all the more heartbreaking. And I think it makes that final moment in the movie um, during the moon landing that much more powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly appreciate that that's, uh, that's a read that people who like the movie are, are definitely coming away with. I, I've read a little bit about it since I've, I've seen it. And I, I can certainly appreciate that it worked uh, for you guys on that level. But I think I, I should specify that the way that uh, Chazelle shoots the movie especially inside the uh, the space capsules and stuff, that stuff, I'm totally fine with it being claustrophobic because it's more experiential. But uh, uh, the problems that I have with it come when it's not inside a spaceship, when it's basically just a, a dialogue scene between him and Claire Foy and everything is still pushed in that way to to sort of drive up the intensity. And it just, I don't know, it, it it's hard for me to, to fully explain. It's just, it must be just one of those things where it's just like it works for some people and it just did not work for me in this case. Um, I, I don't know if anybody else had that experience when watching the movie, but I, I know I Chris might... did. Chris agrees with you very much, I believe. Yeah, I, I'm somewhere in the middle because I the, the emotion in this does work for me. And that, you know, again, without giving any way, that, that final scene on the moon, uh, you know, what he does, what Ryan Gosling does in that scene really got to me. That said, I, I agree with Ben that there's there, the 90% of this movie is like staring at Ryan Gosling's pores on his nose. It's like there's no reason. Like, again, I get it. While you know, it's close up while they're in the capsules, like Ben is saying. That makes sense. But there are so many shots where he's just sitting at like his, his kitchen table with Claire Foy. And there's no reason 
for the camera to be as close as it just really took me out of the movie. Um, you know, I didn't hate it. I, I, I you know, it's just somewhere I, I wanted to like it more than I did basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a fine movie. I just didn't love it. And I, uh, based on how much I love uh, at least two of Jamie, Damon Chazelle's previous movies. Um, this is my least favorite of the ones I've seen. I still haven't seen uh, the one about the, park bench or something his directorial debut I, I still haven't seen that one but in terms of whiplash and la la land this is like a distant number three for me I, i'm in agreement there uh but jacob what else have you been watching yeah i my wife and i tore through a bunch of shutter originals uh shutter the uh horror streaming service is five dollars a month and if you're a fan of horror movies you should be subscribing because it's amazing and they've been uh they've been stocking up on like really cool originals recently movies you, you only watch there one of them is satan's slaves a a movie from uh, Jocko Anwar. It was a big hit in Indonesia when it came out, uh, I believe it was uh, last year. And it's finally made its way to the United States via Shudder. And a few weeks ago on the Fantastic Fest podcast, Peter and I did, we are talking about um, favorite films from this year's festival. Talked about how um, Indonesia was feeling like the country that, the country to watch for adventurous, exciting genre filmmaking. And Satan Slaves really adds to the argument. Uh, it is like Hereditary, if Hereditary was fun, <laughs> say that as someone who loves Hereditary, but it is about a family under siege by powers they cannot understand or comprehend, supernatural going on, spooky haunted house stuff, demons, uh, some decent jump scares, uh, some, a really solid sense of humor when it's required. Uh, it's it's, it's a little over 100 minutes long, but it feels faster. From the very few, few movies that it feels like it could have gone on longer, I was enjoying it so much. It is an absolute pleasure to watch. It's a great Halloween movie. It's spooky. It's scary. It's fun. It's chilling. Uh, if you watch one movie this uh, month that's like streaming, readily available for streaming, uh, it's like a good Halloween discovery uh, of a new movie. It's new to uh, most audiences. Uh, Satan Slaves is a blast. I know Chris saw this too, right? Uh, yeah, I think I actually talked about it on the last uh, mailbag. And yeah, it, it's, it's or whatever this is called. What is this? This Water cooler. <laughs> Water cooler. I should know that by now. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it, it is very much like hereditary, but not as bleak, I guess what I would say. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, Shudder Originals, I rewatched a movie I saw Fantastic Fest and enjoyed there. And it played just as well at home for me. And that is the Argentinian film Terrified from director uh, Demian Rugna. And I wrote about this in the site, so I won't, I won't go too long. Uh, but this is a relatively incoherent uh, horror movie that leaves too many questions unanswered. But it's so scary and so effective in those scares. I had myself a great time with it. There's a jump scare in this movie that made my wife literally fall off the couch. Like she was sitting there, and then she was no longer on the couch anymore uh, after it happened. And and if, and if you're cool with the movie just being an exercise and finding ways to like freak you out, it's a ton of fun, and it's really worth watching. I just don't think it has the character or story coherence I expect from this type of horror movie these days. I mean, ever since The Conjuring and The Warrens as characters, I feel like I want my modern spook spookathon haunted house movie to maybe have a little more emotional groundswell to it. And this doesn't have that as much as fun as it is. And uh, speaking of Chris, you watched this too, right? I did, yeah. And, you know, this movie is not... Um it's not about anything like there's no real story it's just a series of events and you know like you jacob i wish there was more to it but at the same time it's so uh effectively scary that i didn't mind so much like there is this part i don't want to give stuff away but there's this part involving 
uh, a child sitting at a, a, a table that is so like, <laughs> like unrelentingly creepy that it was like, I watch it in the daylight and it's, it was still just making me very unnerved. So if you're looking for like plot and good story, you're not going to get that from this movie. But if you're looking for like a really effective scare, it, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, another Shutter original I watched is Ruin Me, which is the, the least of the movies I watched uh, in this stretch. It is about a group of people who go on a um, slasher movie-themed camping trip, kind of where, like, you know, you sign a waiver, go into the woods, and you get chased by people in masks while camping. But it turns out that there may be more to this, and there may be real kills in the loose. And it's fun up to a point, and then it kind of gets too convoluted in trying to play with the whole is it real or is it not aspect. Uh, it's a it's a fun thing. It's a good midnight watch kind of thing. You can probably watch <laughs> half drunk and enjoy. Not great, but if you're running out of things to watch uh, on Shutter, this is another one I do recommend. Um, another pleasant surprise: um, a movie that I thought would be garbage. And I thought I'd turn it off, but I did not. Uh, a movie called Delirium, a Blumhouse film, that came out this year. That I think it was released straight to VOD because it just kind of vanished. It is a Topher Grace vehicle. Uh, Topher Grace stars in this. Uh, is a man released from a mental institution to his um, family home, a mansion, his fam- a really wealthy family. And he believes he may be going crazy. His house may be haunted. Uh, his, br- his brother, um, who is a, who's, has a very dark past, may or not be in the house with him. And it's not great. It's, 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 it's junky. It is a, um, it's trashy B-movie stuff. But Topher Grace is really good in it. Uh, like makes you wonder, like, why isn't he leading more things? He's, he's very effective. And the final act reveals some really nasty, ridiculous twists that I enjoyed a lot. As the movie gets darker and weirder and grosser, I dug it more. And it's on Netflix right now. And I, like I said, I put it on on a whim, thought I'd turn it off. But I actually got I got pulled into it, and I really enjoyed it. And to put a cap on all these horror movies, I watched You've Got Mail, the 1998 rom-com from Nora, from Nora Ephron. Yeah, it's really good, Peter. Like, I remember watching it when I was younger because my mom... Um, loved this type of rom-com and so i grew up watching this and notting hill and runaway bride and all these you know midnight uh mid 90s to early 2000s um breed of um rom-com and i feel like i feel like this is from this era of rom-com is up there with the 40s like uh screwball rom-com for me in terms of a golden age that i wonder if we'll be able to replicate because this movie is so sweet and funny and nice and I really, really like it. And it made me feel good about myself in the world for, for two hours. And that's really what I want from a rom-com, which even modern rom-coms tend to be a bit more cynical, I think. Whereas there's something really sweet and optimistic about You've Got Mail. Uh, as, as naive as it is about the internet, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it is not naive about relationships. And I feel like um, the breakup scene between two characters where they break up because they realize they're not good for each other, but it's handled like with such humor and characters uh, understanding each other. That it's one of my favorite breakup scenes in all of cinema. And it's this 1998 movie that I feel like nobody really talks about these days, yeah. but you, you, you like this, right, Peter? Yeah. And it's a remake of uh, what the bookstore around the corner or whatever. Shop, shop around the corner. Shop around the corner. Um, I, I almost wonder, like, do you think there's a way for Hollywood to, remake this again in modern times like what would it be called like swipe left <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh yeah i don't know um you've got catfished yeah, you got, <laughs> yeah exactly no i i just love this film it's one of my favorite uh romantic comedies it's almost like 
I don't know. It, 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 so, I, my favorite romantic comedies are movies that take place in New York around Christmas. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, in, uh, what many people might not know, this is Kevin Feige's first movie. He worked as a assistant to uh, Donner, the producer of this film, in that movie. So, so the uh, you know what I'm saying is the Avengers started with You've Got Mail. So, HG, <laughs> uh, I assume you also have a love for You've Got Mail. Of course. Uh, I've seen it multiple times, and in addition to the many times that it shows up on cable, but I love You've Got Mail. Um, I prefer it to Sleepless in Seattle in terms of like the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movies. Um, and it's just, it's so fun. I love Meg Ryan's very um, dated pixie cut. I love the, the, um, just like, I love everything about it. Like everything that Jacob was talking about. Wait, okay. I got it, guys. It's not a remake, but it's an actual sequel, and his company has gone out of business because Amazon has put bookstores out of business, <gasps> and I don't have the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. There's probably nothing there. Uh, Chris, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched two similar movies in uh, presentation. I watched Unfriended Dark Web, and I finally saw Searching, the film that uh, – Ben has talked about uh, extensively. Uh, Dark Web is good. I, I think I like the first one more, but this one is it's very clever. It's it's a lot better than a film pointed at a computer screen should be. Uh, but searching really is as good as Ben made it sound. Maybe even better. I think this is actually like the first legitimately great. Uh, whatever you want to call it, screen life or computer screen movie because this is the first of these films that I've seen, at least that actually treats the medium like a movie, like the, the unfriended films. It's literally like they just set the camera up on a laptop screen and just film. And, you know, there's no like close ups, there's no camera movements. You know, it's just a still shot basically. And stuff pops in the window when they need stuff to move. But with searching the camera actually like moves around the screen, like it zooms in, it zooms out, it, it pans across stuff. And it, like this is the first of these films that actually treats this cinematically. And I think that's what makes it stand above the rest. And it has a really good story. I mean, it's really you get really get hooked up in, you know, the mystery. But beyond the mystery, it's just the way it's made it makes it feel a lot more like, you know, a quote unquote real movie than these other computer screen movies. So uh, that re really did live up to the hype. And we could hear your dogs in the background. Like yes, they're dancing piece. around. Please ignore my dancing dogs. They're so excited about searching. Yes. <laughs> Please ignore my dancing dogs. Sounds like a comedy album. <laughs> okay, uh, Ben, besides uh, First Man, what have you been watching? I rewatched the original Halloween for the first time since I was probably 15 or 16 years old. And I was surprised at how slow it was. I mean, there's not that many murders. I'm going to see the new one tonight, so I'll probably talk about that next week. Uh, but I had heard from Jacob and, and I think Chris as well that like the, the new Halloween is like pretty brutal and intense. And I just wanted to sort of refresh myself by watching the original. And I, I guess um, it, it's almost like watching the the ur text of of how slasher movies came to be and like it's interesting it's always interesting going back and watching something uh super influential in the beginning because it feels you know from a, a 2018 remove like it's a movie that's not really doing much but of course it's it's wildly influential and and 
I guess I guess the the appreciation I got from watching Halloween this time was more in form than uh, particular storytelling. But um, because there's a lot of like the camera is the POV of Michael Myers and it follows people around. And I think like the original Black Christmas had done that before this movie. But this was one of the first ones to really, you know, uh, popularize that style which has been done to death since then um but yeah i mean jamie lee curtis that's the thing that really stuck out to me in addition to like the way that carpenter plays with the form um is that she you know while looking a little bit too old to play a high school student i think um it just delivers a, a really <laughs> solid performance this was her first big movie and it was like oh yeah this is an instant movie star and she's been you know kicking ass for 40 years so that's, that's pretty awesome and I mean, it's just science. We know that in the 70s, time moved much slower back then. So, I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean, like really any movie from the 70s. I don't think there is a movie from the 70s that you it has a a fast pace to it. Like, Jacob, Here, there's a little movie called Star Wars. <laughs> but I don't think that's that fast. Like, how actually I will I'll I'll offer an argument in, in favor of what Peter is saying simply because when I was doing my student teaching, I had one of my students tell me why they liked the new Star Wars more because they when they tried to watch the old ones they were like they're like nothing happens they're like it's so slow he he's on a farm for I don't know I love Star Wars but like I I can definitely see that and like I I've tried to show you know one of my friends didn't watch movies in like the first like fifteen years of her life and I I tried to show her Jaws a couple of years back and that was just like so disappointing. That's it's just like I don't know it it, like, it does have a pace to it that I feel like modern audiences aren't sadly used to, but yeah for sure. Chris uh, Jacob, do you have any thoughts on uh, on the pacing issues of Halloween or even movie movies from the seventies? Yeah, I think it has to do with the fact that um, modern audiences. Um, are more used to the language of this kind of media. We gather information more quickly, we absorb it and understand it at a faster pace. Uh, so that's why you go back and watch movies from not just the 70s, but before that, where I feel like the storytelling is maybe a bit more spelled out because it has to be by necessity. Whereas our attention spans have grown shorter, but our cap- our capacity for taking information has grown much deeper. So I think that um, the faster pace has to do with that. And I, I, I think we have to train ourselves to slow down, to enjoy older cinema yeah. thing we have to enjoy older anything and um i think that that's why i've always I, if, if i had all the money in the world all the power in the world i'd have students take cultural literacy classes in school where they have to grapple with older things to understand this but i don't have that power um and so i can't get mad about it but i also think that's why yeah and i also think probably with something like halloween or even jaws so much of cinema has been influenced by those movies. So I feel like all the ideas that were very interesting in that, that time have been copied and played to death. Not to say that they're bad movies now, because they definitely are not bad movies, but I feel like uh, if you had seen everything that had kind of spawned from those movies, it almost feels, uh, you know, uh, a little bit more generic than probably it was. Does that make sense? Totally. I definitely make that definitely makes sense because I know people like fellow students in college who watched Casablanca for the first time and were like, it was cliche. And I was like, that's where the cliches. Yeah, exactly. That you you said it better than I could. Um, Brad, aside from First Man, what have you been watching? 
Yeah, aside from First Man, I uh, finally took the time to watch a show that I should have watched immediately when it came out, just because it was so obviously for me, but because it's peak TV and because of time, I just kept putting it off. And I, uh, I binge-watched both seasons of Big Mouth, the Netflix animated series uh, created by Nick Kroll, in which he voices a ton of characters, including one of the main characters, along with John Mulaney and Jenny Slate. Uh, it's a... Uh, definitely made for adults animated series about a group of uh, young teenagers who are going through puberty and have to contend with all the raging hormones that come along with it. It is unflinchingly raunchy, um, but it is also, and it's, it's such an accurate depiction of how confusing and overpowering like puberty can be when you're a teenager and you have just all of these like feelings coursing through you. And it is just, it, it hits all of the spots that, like, everyone is all too familiar with. All the embarrassing, shameful things that you did when you were a kid coming into your own. Um, and it, it does it, like, accurately with the awkwardness, um, but it also does it in, like, an absurd way because the kids have these hormone monsters who are the ones who are, like, driving their insane sexual cravings and behaviors. And it's just, it's such a dirty show, but it is hilarious. Like, it's it's been a while since the show has made me laugh so hard and so consistently. And it's I'm so glad that I finally caught up with all of it. The second season only just recently came out, um, and I, I, I went through all, all uh, of the episodes in about three days. And it's just, it's, it's so good. I love it. HT, what have you been watching? So I'm one of the few people who didn't see First Man. Actually, I'm the, I'm the only person on this podcast who has not watched First Man yet. But I did see The Hate You Give, which is the um, sort of YA uh, book, uh, th- film adaptation of the book that tackled Black Lives Matter. And it stars uh, Amanda Stenberg as this uh, girl, Star Carter, um, a high school student who goes to a more prestigious, like, private school um, outside of her mostly black neighborhood. Um, But then she one day witnesses the shooting of her childhood best friend and is kind of torn between these two worlds and is forced to reckon with her sort of strange place between both of them. And it's really powerful, uh, really um, accessible uh, approach to these issues of Black Lives Matter racial injustice, uh, police brutality. It kind of reminded me of the film from earlier this year, Blind Spotting, uh, which starred Javi Diggs, in that, in the issues it, t- it tackled of um, like gentrification as well as uh, race racism and that kind of strange balance that you have, that African-Americans have to walk between like these two worlds that they live in um, but it kind of felt like flying spotting on training wheels in a way. It was really powerful, but it still felt like a YA novel in a sense. Like it had a subplot with a drug lord played by Anthony Mackie, who was kind of just like a straight up villain this entire time that made the, the entire story easier to wrap up. But the performances were great. Amanda Stadenberg was uh, amazing, as well as um, Issa Rae and... Uh, Regina Hall and uh, who else was up? Um, uh, Russell Hornsby. So it's a it's a really great film. I enjoyed it a lot. I it definitely feels like um, kind of similar to how Love Simon makes this the story of the coming of age uh, 
gay um the gay coming of age movie like rom-com movie accessible to larger audiences the hate you give kind of feels similar in that sense and that is taking this really larger really complex issue and making it more accessible to mainstream audiences which is not a bad thing um and then the next movie i watched was the old man and the gun which was supposed to be uh robert redford's sort of swan song before he retires but that may not be the case anymore regardless the old man and the gun which is directed by david lowery is a really great sort of homage and like tribute to robert redford it feels sometimes i'm using the word meta feels a little bit you know overused now but it definitely felt meta in the sense that it um was talking about this real-life uh, elderly bank robber's legacy and how he is kind of always drawn to this this lifestyle and um, this way of living. And it was a really beautiful sort of touching and calm um, in the sense, like, allegory to Robert Redford's own career. So uh, I really like it. I really love David Lowery's work. I remember watching A Ghost Story last year, and it didn't – I didn't – quite like it at first but it really stuck with me and made an impact on me and this uh i think old the old man the gun kind of had the same sort of effect as well it was i was really appreciated too that it was uh, shot on film instead of digitally which also felt like a proper like an apt tribute to robert redford as well very cool and uh you also finished up uh, american vandal season two yeah, I took a while to get to that, but American Vandal Season 2 is great. I think we've all talked about it at some point on this podcast, but I'm just adding my two cents. I loved it. Um, it's This show has no right to be as incisive and as uh, smart about teen, teen society and teen kind of social lives as it is. Uh, it definitely is just a really it's a great it's what it transcends it's sort of like snl sketch uh premise to being one of the most authentic depictions of high school life that i've seen on on tv that's fictionalized i still have not watched that series but i know you guys highly recommend it so i'm gonna have to check it out one of these days uh let's move on to what we've been eating let's start with brad and his adventures at burger king I don't know if I would call it an adventure, but uh, I got food the other day, and I saw that they came out with a new Halloween-themed drink. Uh, it's a, a black cherry, a scary black cherry flavored icy. Uh, so I tried it out, and it's uh, really good. Um, it's what makes turns it scary? Your mouth, it turns your mouth black. <laughs> oh. Yeah, like it, it's um. It, so it scares other people. Scary. Basically, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it definitely it's it is a dark, you know, uh, pitch black purple, and it definitely turns your mouth and uh, lips uh, a, a darker shade. Um, but it's 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 pretty tasty. It's definitely very sweet, as all ices are. Uh, but I enjoyed it. Very cool, uh, Jacob. Before we started this podcast, you uh, decided to get a quick snack, and that uh, led to some uh, fun. Uh, tell us about it. Uh, for the set this up, I'm a big fan of spicy food. Spicy food very rarely uh, phases me. So I'll be the kind of guy who eats the spiciest chicken, the spiciest chips, the spiciest hot sauces. So I didn't get a chance to have lunch before we sit and record this podcast. So I thought, oh, I'll open this bag of chips. I got at the grocery store. Uh, this brand called Packy, which is uh, kind of like 
if Doritos were good, <laughs> um, sort of an all natural, uh, more naturalized, more natural flavored Doritos. And this was a uh, Packy's haunted ghost pepper chips. And um, I thought, oh, they don't literally mean ghost pepper. They're just trying to put on a show. They're trying to um, sell me uh, spicy chips that, uh, by saying the ghost pepper, but they're not. And it was only after I started eating them that I saw the label in the bag saying, please eat with gloves. <laughs> and uh, my mouth was very unhappy for the first half hour of this show. How do you spell Packy? Because in, in New England, where I'm from, the word Packy is used uh, as like a, about liquor stores. <laughs> like, go pick uh, that up at the Packy. <laughs> I know it's um Spanish word. I'm looking it up right now. It translates into... The internet's not helping me out here, but it is it is a Spanish word. Well, anyways, uh, let's move on to what we've been playing. I'll start this off first, which I've been listening a lot to this podcast called Shezam. That's S-H-E-Z-A-M. I don't talk a lot about uh, my obsession with magic on this podcast, but I do want to do a shout out for this podcast. It's run by uh, two magicians, uh, Carissa Hendricks and Kayla Drescher, um, and uh, th- they're both female magicians in a world by male magicians, and it's, it's um, an, a very insightful podcast because it really kind of sheds a light on a industry where females are the minority that in an industry where like when you know they're at a magic thing people come up to them and just assume that they are the magician's assistant talking about uh all all these um the the experiences that come with uh also trying to learn magic from a female's perspective because all magic is written from the male perspective of like you know you have a suit jacket with uh you know pockets and whatever and this isn't a podcast for magicians uh really but it's a, a a podcast about magicians and these two are just so smart uh, so it's one of those podcasts that really gets me to rethink how I think about things on a regular basis. And I think that's good. And, uh, they really are trying to kind of, uh, change, uh, this might be a small community, but they're, they're doing what they can to kind of, uh, change the way, uh, the magic community kind of thinks about, uh, not just female magicians, but female audiences, and uh, I don't know. I, I would highly recommend it to, uh, to anybody to check it out. You can listen to it on uh, Apple iTunes. It's called Shazam. Uh, but, Jacob, what have you been playing? Well, I'm biding my time for Red Dead Redemption 2 later this month, which I expect will eat up my life for some time. On a related note, Peter, I'm going to want a week or two off. Um, but in all seriousness, I started playing The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild again. This is a game when I first bought my Nintendo Switch. I bought the new Zelda game because everybody bought the new Zelda game. And I played it for a few hours and fell off of it and then never got back to it. And I dove back in and started a new game. And now I'm further along than I was before. And this game's amazing. I mean, it, w- it won so many awards last year. I don't need to say much more. But the sense of scale, discovery, and mystery is incredible. It's everything a Zelda game pretended to be <laughs> for decades finally realized. The idea that... um. The first Zelda games, all the way up through, you know, the ones from just a few years ago, were, were always sort of on a path. You always, uh, the sense of adventure was um, an illusion, whereas the sense of adventure here in this open world so full of things to, that, so, genuine discovery, like, 
riding your horse through a, an open field with a metal weapon getting struck by lightning because you have a metal weapon out. Uh, realizing you can light a field on fire and use the updraft to use your hang glider to go higher from a standing position. All these tiny little details that um, make the world feel real and make the sense of discovery not feel planned out. Everything you do feels organic in a way that feels genuinely magical. And it makes it's, it's like it's like a little miracle of a game. Uh, and if you haven't played it yet and you have a Switch or even the OEU, which was on originally, uh, play this game. Uh, don't do what I did and wait a year. Jacob, uh, I just bought this yesterday, and I have not played it yet, and I probably won't actually because I have so many videos that I need to make for Slash <laughs> Film. But I'll, I will get around to this eventually. And just hearing you talk about it makes me really excited. I've heard that all the the accolades that it's gotten, and uh, I'm I'm really stoked to jump into this one. Oh man, uh, Ben, if you I'm going to send you a list of Switch games to buy because it is the the number of like indie games that are worth playing that are sort of hidden away on the store at this point is enormous. So you and I can have a conversation off this show about which you need to buy. Sweet. I'm excited for you. You're in for a treat. Uh, but I, I also tried Super Mario Party, which Brad talked about last week. And so here's Mario Party in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> one person gets a star, which is which you, the currency to win the game, and the new star generates three steps ahead of them, and they're still on their current role, so they get that star too. And the next star generates three steps ahead of them, so they get that star too. So they get three stars in one turn, and the other player turns to me and apologizes and feels genuinely bad for ruining the game, even though it was not his fault, it was the game's. That is Mario Party in a nutshell, but I still can't <laughs> wait to play it again. There's, there's no game series I love to hate more than Mario Party. It's so interesting because I feel like tabletop games have upped the game so much, and you'd think that even though this is a you know kind of a, a digital tabletop game, that uh, they would learn from kind of the, you know, lowering the randomness of, of things. Do, do you think they, like, why why haven't they, Jacob? I know that Mario Party 9 uh, drastically changed the Mario Party structure to be a bit more fair, to be fast, faster pace and not have these bullshit moments. But the, the Mario Party fan base, like, lashed out. They were very upset because I think part of the Mario Party fun is how unbalanced and unfair <laughs> it is part we can play with against uh, ai players it's no fun at all but with four players in a room the game just seems to actively seek out and screw over somebody <laughs> on the couch it just it's part of the mario party experience uh there's no way to play mario party over like the internet is there uh not that i know of but i don't know why you would you need to be in the room to yeah. see their shame and their anger I don't know. I was trying to arrange. I'm trying to in my head arrange a Mario Party uh, slash one Mario Party. <laughs> I would like to hear that. Uh, okay, I, we have reached the end of this podcast. Again, we've gone way over our time limit. Uh, so you can find all of our. Uh, all of us at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, uh, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com and leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Please go rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, Peter. Do you know what time it is? Uh, I forget every time. Well, you know, last last week I did say I was like, no one has written in about this about this book that Jacob keeps on removing, and I actually did. We actually did get a bunch of people, uh, overwhelmingly positive response. So if people want to hear this, 
People okay. want the book. Uh, for anyone who has not listened to this show before, I will, I will now read from the Gargantuan Book of Insult, Offense, and Affrontery by Louis A. Safian. I've opened to a random page in the section Dumbbells. Uh, hey, Brad, you said if it hadn't been for Thomas Edison, we'd all be watching TV by candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, ben is too scared to get married. Every time he's about to, some insurance man asks him to take out life insurance. Wait, that, that's just... What does that even mean? I, I don't know. That just seems kind of sexist. What's going on? <laughs> right? Um, am, am I wrong? <laughs> I don't know what it means. I'm just reading from the top of the page. It seems like it's saying that the the wife or the potential wife is a money grubbing like and just wants to kill him, right? Presumably, <laughs> that's the, the joke, Peter. Chain. <laughs> well, uh, Peter, please, we have a lot of insults to get through. Here. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, Peter. The first time you heard about the Boston Tea Party, you asked who the caterer was. I mean, that, that's true, but <laughs> HT can't find a thing to buy in antique shops. She claims you're not making antiques nowadays like they used to. <laughs> oh, oh. So All right. Uh, and Chris, one time a beggar asked you, can you give me a quarter for a sandwich? And you said, let's see the sandwich. Man. <laughs> Wait. Oh, okay. I get it. <laughs> see, because, yeah. 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 Right. selling the sandwich. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this joke exists in a world where sandwiches cost a quarter. <laughs> what, what, what year was this book written in? <laughs> I feel like we've discussed this before. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was like um, 82 or something. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Uh, 2017. Um, uh, <laughs> copyright. This is this is the third printing. Uh, 1990, 2000, and 2014. It's a hot seller. Wow. <laughs> <sighs> what world do we live in that, that that a book like that has three printings? The best world. We have to ask Peter. 